0: My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. Kelis. everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Belonious Pundits. I'm Kentod Svensgaard, and along with me, please say hello, hello, hello to Mr. A.J. Mass.
1: Hello, hello, hello. You, you, your voice sings with happiness of another episode, yet your words seem to imply that you are skeptical of the large amount of episodes we've done.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, I can hardly believe it. But it is very true. We are already, believe it or not, Pundi out there, believe it or not, we are already into season two, episode 13. Uh, Once again, this is a podcast about the television program Criminal Minds. We recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show each week. I have never seen the show before, so each episode is a complete mystery to me. And uh, AJ has seen every episode before. He is our grizzled veteran. He knows what's coming, and he uh, has even deeper details than you might imagine you ever needed on uh, any particular episode.
1: Yeah, You know what? We all look alike on the inside.
0: (laughs) So, as I mentioned, uh, yes, indeed, we're profiling Season 2, Episode 13 of Criminal Minds. Apparently it's an introduction to Frank, and uh, the show is called No Way Out this week. Uh, This episode was written by Sir Simon Mirren and directed by John Gallagher. It originally aired on January 17th, 2007. AJ, on January 17th, 2007, columnist Ark Butwald died, and the Doomsday Clock was set to five minutes to midnight in response to North Korea's first nuclear test. And now on to our episode.
1: <laughs> uh, every week it gets grimmer. <laughs> uh, so this week, AJ... <laughs> Puppies were born and flowers grew. No, none of that stuff. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs>
0: We've had, what, now? We've had extinct animals, uh, many people dying, and, uh, yeah. I love this feature. It's going to be happy one of these days. I promise.
1: Sport of the future.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so this week, we open in a, a desert looking area, and we are told we are in Golconda, Nevada. We hear some birds of prey or some crows cawing. Uh, We hear an engine start up and drive away and we pull up into a close up of a grisly looking human arm missing uh, the rest of the body. We cut to a diner where Etta James is at last is playing on a jukebox and a waitress is putting in an order. She then goes to give a flirty greeting to Gideon and Morgan, who have just walked into the diner. Gideon completely ignores the waitress. And makes a beeline for a booth where there is a man sitting. Uh, Gideon asks the man if he minds if he joins him. The man says, please, and Gideon takes a seat while Morgan just sort of looms over the whole, both of them looking like he's just ready and itching for action. I will mention that the actor uh, playing this man in the booth is Keith Carradine, whom I always, almost always, confuse with his brother David, but he's been in a billion things so he's like a, a what i would call it a, a big time guest star for this show
1: he is a big time guest star uh he had a very major run in uh season of dexter and is currently seen on another show that i podcast about uh he's currently on fear the walking dead as uh, john doris senior so uh he, he's, he's a grizzled veteran. Yes. That's what a grizzled veteran looks like. <laughs> yes.
0: So Mr. Carradine lets Gideon know that he should try Fat Sam's shakes. But Gideon says he's cold and tired. And uh, Keith says, oh, you're also not from around her here. From around her. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: and Gideon says in his very, very Gideon way, well, where are you from? The waitress, meanwhile, who is eyeing this scene, brings Keith a strawberry shake. And Keith says to Gideon, uh, you really should try the shakes. And uh, what's your name? He tells Gideon that names are a hobby of his. So Gideon says, Jason Gideon. And uh, Keith says, Jason, from Greek mythology, to heal. Gideon, a hero from the Old Testament who led the Israelites against the Midianites. Your parents had great ambitions for you. I'm Frank, Germanic, third century, derived from the name of a type of spear. I wonder what type of aspirations my parents had for me. Morgan isn't down for the repartee. And he says, why don't we just cut to the cut all the crap, Frank? Where is she? Frank appreciates Morgan's directness. (laughs) And uh, Gideon says, you're right. I'm not from around here. I'm an FBI agent. And he flashes his badge. And Frank looks at it and says, uh, the BAU, oh, you didn't disappoint your parents. Gideon says, well, we're looking for a man in his mid to late 50s, listens to Beethoven, wears a corduroy jacket with a fleece-lined collar, which is what Frank is wearing, by the way. I guess I
1: should Although point it's, it- it's a little less impressive when he's sitting there in front of him. He can see that that's what he's yes, wearing. Sure, I mean, true. Let's be honest on that one.
0: <laughs> true. It's not like the magic of If this was in the profile scene. So he's left handed. And then uh, Morgan grabs Frank and he pulls a small notebook out of his jacket pocket. And getting continues inside his right jacket pocket will be a notebook and it will give the extensive detailed accounts of the torture inflicted on every one of his victims. Morgan starts to read the notebook and he, he points out, "Uh oh, this notebook is actually new and there's only two entries in it. Black male, 220 pounds, portly, white female, early 20s. This, unfortunately for them, doesn't prove anything. Frank says in a very uh, serial killer type way, <laughs> guess what? When I'm finished with my shake, you'll get what you're here for. But then I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk out of here. And you and your lapdog, he says, looking at Morgan, are going to let me. He sips his shake all up in Gideon's face. <laughs> and Gideon is like, you know what, Frank? That would be a magic trick. We cut to an outside shot of the diner and police cars are pulling up all around and they're surrounding the place. And we go to credits.
1: Criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds. What's your first impression of Frank and Todd? <laughs> Frank is uh,
0: one of those witty killers, that likes to play, that likes to match wits, that uh, that has a plan. He seems like he has a plan and uh, everything seems like it's actually going his way.
1: Fair, fair. He certainly does like to slurp on his straw. Oh
0: yeah. <laughs> and uh, I like that he likes strawberry because, you know, I, I too am a fan of strawberry shakes. And most people I see usually order the chocolate or the vanilla. I think it's a smaller selection that that select the strawberry and i'm always one of them
1: it takes a particular type of personality <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so let's come back to the uh show and uh we're back at the diner and gideon gives us our very short opening quote aristotle once said evil brings men
1: together certainly has uh collected a. Uh gaggle of people at this diner yes
0: (laughs) we see a ton of the local cops getting they're all getting ready for a standoff and one particularly aggressive deputy is pumping his shotgun and he says uh feds or no feds this bastard doesn't give her back to us in the next 15 minutes we go in agreed and the other cops agreed and he says it again agreed
1: (laughs) agreed it was very uh very stirring very braveheart yeah it was very (laughs) braveheart and it provides us with Our deadline, 15 minutes. Yes. It's early, but we got a deadline. That's right. We just have 15 minutes. Well, this show should be over rather quickly then, right, AJ? I think so. I mean, how much could you squeeze it possibly into 15 minutes? (laughs) (laughs) So we
0: pan back inside to the diner, and Frank is still sipping on his shake nonchalantly, and he gives the clock a glance, and it's just a couple minutes after three. And Morgan notes that he's been looking at the clock and uh, says he's waiting for something. And Frank says to Morgan, if I had your looks, do you know how much easier my life would be? (laughs) Um, Surprisingly, Morgan doesn't flirt back. Uh, (laughs) Gideon asks Frank, my man, (laughs) (laughs) Gideon asks Frank if he wants to know how they caught him. And Frank is like, please do tell. And uh, Derek points out to Gideon that, hey, you know, those cops outside want to kill this guy. Maybe we don't really have time for explanations. And uh, Frank says, you know what? You have the time it will take for me to finish this shake. And uh, Gideon, that's all the time that Gideon is going to need, apparently, Uh, He starts off his story
1: by saying, we got a request from Sheriff Georgia Davis. It was 1870. (laughs) (laughs) This town was founded. (laughs) Yes, Gideon does not care about deadlines. (laughs) Uh,
0: We actually do cut back to one day earlier in the BAU office. And the scene starts off in black and white. So you know that we're in a flashback. And uh, that device is used throughout the rest of the episode, uh, so that we know whenever we're going back in time. JJ is telling the team about the case, and and as usual, cutting between very grisly pictures that I won't describe. in In this particular case, in 1996, the rib cage of a male was found in the Desert Rose National Park. It was never identified. However, this very morning, the remains of two victims were found almost in exactly the same place. Princess says, well, it's been 10 years. It could be a big coincidence. And Reed says, well, it would be if the unidentified male wasn't missing a right rib bone and the torso found this morning is missing exactly the same rib bone. Both of them were surgically removed and the advanced rate of decomposition on the male means that he died far far a long time before the female uh, JJ identifies the female victim as Catherine Hale. They identified her by a bracelet that was on her wrist. She ran away about two weeks ago from her small Colorado town. And that means this unsub is crossing state lines. He's mobile. So Morgan wonders if uh, the remains are related to the same killer. Where has he been for the last 10 years? And Gideon walks in, and he has a box of files and says he's been killing. Apparently, he's got unsolved case files that go back 30 years. In every single case, the victimology is the same. Um, the unwanted, he says. This box is just the tip of the iceberg. He's got 13 cases spanning the th- whole 30-year time frame. Same M.O. The right rib bone is missing. It's him, Hotch. It's the same killer, Gideon says. All of the remains were dumped in remote areas and always near Interstate 80. And up until now, no remains were found that were this intact or this close to the actual time of kill. And also, there's never been two victims dumped at the same time in the same place. So Prentice says all of these killings are the work of just
1: one man. And Gideon says the most prolific serial killer ever. Dum, dum, dum. I do like the fact that just uh, a short time after we had uh, Morgan being interrogated for possibly being a serial killer and the cop coming in with just one box as part of a way to trick him. Like, look at all this box is just one of the boxes we have. And like, Gideon actually has a box, which is one of the boxes we have on Frank. Right. We just don't know if he's Frank. But it is kind of funny that they actually do have these boxes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh, so then we go. Back to black and white, so we're no we know that we're exiting the flashback. And then we're back in the diner with Gideon and Frank. And Frank, I don't know if he's trying to play it off or something, but he's like, Wow, and you truly believe that that I, you know, and Gideon says, Look, I know it, which is why we came here to Nevada. And we cut outside and we see some more crows calling about. But it's in black and white, so we know it's more flashback time. And we see our team arriving at the crime scene, where uh, right away we see a young deputy barfing after looking at the remains. And our uh, local aggressive deputy from before, he's there. He sends the barfer home and lets the sheriff know that the feds have arrived. He says, George, they're here. And the sheriff says... uh, Well, that cop drove 60 miles just to barf. No good reason to be here. Not even from this department. What is it about death that fascinates us? And uh, she was saying this to Gideon, but he walks right past her saying, uh, he didn't contaminate the scene, did he? And he goes over and he stares at the torso that's lying there on the ground. The sheriff is like, uh, no, uh, and she introduces herself, Sheriff Georgia Davis, people call me George, the aggressive deputy is Rick Silo, which is, <laughs> just, a, okay,
1: uh, yeah. Yeah, he, he's, uh, he's, uh, Red Four in Luke Skywalker's, uh, <laughs> squadrons. <laughs> so, uh,
0: Hotch introduces himself and Morgan. And uh, says, the guy who sometimes forgets his manners, that's Jason Gideon. The sheriff says she stood there 10 years ago in this exact same spot. She had the same feeling then as she has now, which apparently is that someone in her town might be responsible for it. And she hopes that they can tell her that she's wrong. Uh, All of a sudden, we hear the familiar guitar rift of Smoke on the Water. And uh, the sheriff's like, oh, that's my cell. That's my husband. Uh, That's our song. Just funny to me.
1: Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it's it's silly, but it, it, it's these little character moments. Like yeah. I think all the all the people who are uh, the non BAU folk in this episode, uh, well, with the exception of maybe Mr. Silo, who's a little scenery chewing, but they all do such perfect wonders. I mean, even, even like you said, the waitress who's in for like you know ten seconds. Just it's such a lived character that is a uh, character actress, Rusty Schwimmer. It's just a a fun name to say, but she's definitely Rushdie Schwimmer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: So she walks off to answer, the sheriff walks off to answer her phone call, and uh, Deputy Silo starts saying that they're lucky that they found anything because there's been a recent spike in the coyote population lately, and Morgan figures that maybe that's why the unsub would would dump the bodies there uh, so that they get consumed by the by the environment. And uh, Silo says, "Uh, you people think we really have a serial killer in our town. And Morgan says, well, at least one that passes through from time to time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Maybe not in your town full time. (laughs) Yeah. You got,
0: you got a visitor. Uh, We cut to Reed and Prentice and they are arriving at the Golconda police station. They're at the front desk area checking in, so to speak. And there's a cop, who looks rather dismissively at their badges and tosses them back at them. And Reed gets the feeling that they aren't very welcome there. And Prentice says, well, it's not us, it's what we represent. The government's not really all that popular out here. Uh, They start to head into the station, and all of a sudden we see a screaming woman trying to get away. She's being held by an officer who's actually trying to drag her out. And she's shouting, no, no, you can't make me go. I know what my rights are. No, don't make me go. No, I don't want to go home. I know my rights. Come on. And as she's being dragged past Prentice, she says, what are you looking at, princess? <laughs> I just thought that was <laughs> so close to being psychic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she was She was right on. Uh, she takes a swing at the officer and, and he's like, okay, okay. If that's the way you want it, Jane, fine. You're going to go back to jail. Uh, She's like, okay. (laughs) she's she's happy to be going (laughs) back. But uh, as she's being brought back, she breaks away from the cop and runs right up to to Reed and grabs him by the shirt. And she says, he's coming. He's coming back. And there's nothing you can do about it. You hear me? Nothing, nothing. And the uh, cop starts to drag her away and she drops something to the ground. And Prentice says, excuse me, she dropped this. Uh, the cop doesn't want to take it, but Prentice says, look, it's harmless. It's a weird looking little thing, but uh, she gives it back to Jane, who thanks her. And apparently the item was a whistle. And as she's walking away, she gives it a little toot. And uh, Reed says, "Wow, well, a psycho with a whistle. That's not too weird. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And uh, small town,
0: yeah, huh? <laughs> uh, kind of Twin Peaksy actually. If I, if I.
1: my whistle knows the answers. <laughs> Ask my whistle. <laughs> uh,
0: I should point out the uh, crazy Jane is portrayed by Amy Madigan, who I almost always confuse with Amanda Plummer. So, <laughs> oh no! How can you do
1: that? They're nothing alike. I know
0: that they're nothing alike, and I don't know why. But every time I think about Pulp Fiction, I say, "Oh yeah, Amy Madigan in that opening scene with Tim Roth," and it's and I'm always wrong. <laughs> but um, she is a fine actress, also in a, a a bunch of stuff. So they 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 had a big budget, I think, on the guest stars for uh, this particular episode. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, we cut back to the team at the crime site, and Derek is noting the tat- some tattoos on the torso that look like prison gang tattoos, and Hotch is noting that the unsub has an extensive anatomic knowledge, and Morgan says, yeah, there's pin marks on the torso, which are guidelines for a surgeon's knife. Gideon, who's about 20 feet away from them, from them looking at an arm... yells out, did he cauterize the main arteries? And Hotch yells back, yeah, all of them. And they explain to an inquisitive silo that he cauterizes the arteries by burning them to stop the blood flow, which means that the victims were alive when he cut off their limbs. Morgan takes a picture of the torso and sarcastically says, oh, Garcia's going to love this. (laughs)
1: <laughs> he knows his Garcia all too well. Yes. We cut to Garcia
0: looking at the photo as she's scanning the various databases, looking for matching tattoos. And she's like, oh, this is so not the way to a girl's heart. <laughs> JJ has a big map on the wall and she's mapping out where the victims were found. Uh, she puts a pin on the map where Catherine Hale was last seen in Salt Lake City, Utah, and then a pin where she was found and. Golconda, Nevada. Uh, Meanwhile, Garcia gets a match for the tattoo. It was from a prisoner at San Quentin named Reno Rodriguez, who jumped bail seven months ago and was picked up by cops in Salt Lake City five weeks ago. So JJ puts those pins in the map and says, "Okay, so he was abducted somewhere close to where he was last seen. And from the map, it appears that maybe the unsub was traveling from east to west Towards Galconda. If he lives there, then where is he coming from? We don't know, J- AJ, but we do know who's doing all the actual detective work, as usual.
1: <laughs> as usual, I mean, all right, you, you can't, you can't say the BAU is not doing the, the work right now. They are, they are visiting the crime scene. But <laughs> JJ is not waiting for instruction. She is getting way ahead of the curve here. You are correct yes. because JJ rocks
0: <laughs> <laughs> we uh come back to the crime scene and morgan is saying uh that only these two vic the only thing that these two victims have in common is that they were killed by the same unsub but gideon who is looking out at the distance says uh well no there's another connection and he's looking at the highway and so hotch says the interstate i-80 and we cut to a break
1: yeah which we already knew but it's a you know It was mentioned earlier, and J.J. just said it. I don't know why J.J. saying it wasn't enough, but okay, fine. (laughs) Emphasis, commercial. All right, it's the IAD killer, everybody. Let's go out into the papers and tell everyone we're looking for the IAD killer, right? Right. That's how this works. Exactly. Uh, No, A.J., we come back to the present,
0: and we see the clock in the diner, and we see that it's almost 3.10
1: p.m., so time is moving fast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in our scenario here uh, and the episodes still got a long way to go so gideon tell the story faster but <laughs> the
0: uh cook and the waitress are are leaving the diner which I, I i find interesting how this whole like they didn't go in to explain how like everybody in the diner was evacuated and then finally the cook and the, like all that must have happened
1: but we didn't really see and fairly quick fairly quickly too i mean did you just I I like the fact that, yeah, we did it. You don't need to see it. That's why Morgan's escorting them out. It it makes sense. Gideon's telling the story. Morgan knows what happened. He doesn't have to sit there for the flashback. True.
0: (laughs) So uh, Derek does stop the waitress and ask her if she's ever seen that man before. And she says, over the years, yeah, he never eats anything. He just orders a strawberry milkshake. She and the cook leave. And Frank says to Gideon, you were saying... (laughs) so (laughs) continue the story please and uh, Gideon says well the story involves wind chimes trailers alien abductions and Frank finds all this to be very gripping and Gideon says he thought he'd seen the very worst of what humanity had to offer until Frank that is Frank asks Gideon if he thinks him as insane and Gideon says do not play me You know exactly what you are, a psychopathic sexual sadist. You get off on brutal torture of others, and Morgan says, and you knew the moment we arrived in town that you had no way
1: out. Whoop, whoop,
0: whoop, whoop. Title,
1: title, 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 title.
0: (laughs) They only have to do the title once, AJ, but we get it a a few times. uh, A few times I'd
1: rather that than the alternative where they never say it, because why would you pick the title? Although, really, this... The title of this episode should just simply be Frank.
0: Yeah, <laughs> to be to be perfectly frank, uh, Gideon dramatically whispers at Frank, "Which is why you took her." And Frank says, "Who's playing who now? You don't care about her. You only ever cared about catching me. It isn't the victims that drive you, Jason. It's the hunt." And uh, Morgan says, "Look out that window, Frank. The hunt is over." <laughs> <laughs> Frank says, you aren't denying it to Gideon. And Gideon says, men, women, young, old, didn't matter to you. You took them all. From San Francisco's Muir Woods to the hills of the Poconos, <laughs> you took them all. I I just thought it was funny how he said, from San Francisco's Muir Woods, like uh, he was doing a, a, a tourist uh, video or something. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Either that or, or or, he's, you know, he's the Marine Corps yeah, from the halls of Montezuma. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, next, we cut to Garcia's computer in black and white. So we know it's flashback time um, scanning through several various victim profiles. And Garcia is saying if they're all connected, then he's killed hundreds of people all over North America. And JJ asks, how many years do they go back? And Garcia says, 30. And Garcia is basically listing out cities, and, and JJ is pinning them on the map. Sacramento, California, Lincoln, Nebraska, Gary, Indiana. JJ says, Well, if we can figure out where he's been, maybe we can figure out the significance that Golconda has to him. And Garcia finds out, finds something, and she says, uh, you want to hear the really Bad news, and J.J. asks if it can get worse, and Garcia says it just did. We see on her computer screen a medical examiner's report on Catherine Hale, and then we see that it's on Reed's Reed's screen at the police station, and he's uh, printing it out. And so he brings the report to everybody else. The victim's blood had high levels of ketamine, which Hotch notes is primarily a horse tranquilizer, but is also used as a date-rape drug.
1: He says, It also cures COVID, right? Yeah. <laughs> he says, I read that, I read that once. That it must be true. Yeah. <laughs> he says, In
0: street lingo, I love him saying in street lingo, but he says, uh, In street lingo, it's known as being stuck in a K hole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this means, unfortunately, for the victims of Frank, it means that they were completely conscious when he killed them. And then basically it's the profiling scene. They uh, talk about everything about the unsub here. Um, they say it's essential for this unsub that he sees terror, the terror in his victim's eyes. That's what gets him off. he He's either had medical training or he's honed his skills over the years. We're looking for a man that's going to be in his mid to late 50s, highly intelligent, methodically and obsessively clean. Prentice says that his vehicle is most likely an RV, muted in color neither old nor new, in perfect working order, and Morgan points out it'll have a CB radar detectors, police band radio, which all of which have helped him evade the police. Apparently also his vehicle is his killing room, it'll be soundproofed, and you'll have surgical instruments on the walls, and there's a stirrup chair or or an autopsy table in it, and Gideon says, and all of his kills are recorded. If it's not on video, it's in a journal that he carries on on him in his right hand inside jacket pocket. This is a, this is a good, like, uh, where did you get that from time? So Silo is there to ask that for us. And they explain that the tool marks on the remains indicate that this guy is left-handed And they say, finally, that this man is void of all normal human feelings.
1: Yeah, I I would say that in general, these profile scenes do lean a bit heavily on the Sherlock Holmes of it all. Just, you know, there's that because Sherlock Holmes and Arthur Conan Doyle started this thing of like, oh, you know, I could tell that you you walk with a limp uh, because your shoe is like a centimeter on the left, and therefore you must be right-handed, like... That always goes back to we can tell these things because of observations of the. Uh, that's the kind of stuff they never would ever be able to put in a profile. <laughs> Left-handed, sure. I, but you know, and he has three buttons missing on the right side. <laughs> no, he likes to wear green. Like no, not none of that stuff.
0: So uh, next we cut to. And it's a pretty neat shot from the black and white photo of the arm to the straw that is pumping up the milkshake to Frank's mouth, where it sort of fit. it. It was just a neat little uh, transition
1: there. No, th- this episode is very well done. This is mm. one of their their better episodes. So from top to start to finish. So there you go. And Gideon is continuing with his uh, story. He
0: says, "A killing machine, incapable of remorse, compassion, love." Frank uh, actually. Looks perturbed for a moment, and then he gives a little laugh. And Morgan is like, what's the matter, Frank? And uh, Gideon picks up the rest of Frank's milkshake. You know how they serve it in a little silver side cup, and then you pour your milkshake in the cup. So Gideon picks up uh, the uh, silver cup to pour the rest of the shake into Frank's cup. Like, uh, you
1: need to be finishing your shake, sir. <laughs> Not only that, but it's it, that tends to be the halfway point uh, of your milkshake. So it's like, uh, mm-hmm. I have now reached the apex of my story, and now it's time for the denouement (laughs) to begin. (laughs) So Gideon
0: looks at Frank, and he's like, uh, is this something I said? Because Frank is still obviously a little perturbed. And Morgan's like, you got them all worked up, Gideon. And (laughs) Frank looks at Morgan and says, beauty can cover a multitude of sins, but underneath, we all look exactly the same. And Morgan says, I know what gets you off. Fear. Seeing it and feeling it. Well, look at look out that window, Frank. You are not leaving this diner. Frank says, uh, I don't want to. And he looks at Gideon and says, not until this story is done. And then he takes another sip
1: of the world's longest milkshake. S- <laughs> I I do love the fact that, you know, Frank is a formidable Opponent, uh, you know what he is. He admits what he is. He's not trying to hide the fact that he's the killer. He's like, oh yeah, you know, you're the kill You got me, and uh, I have no plans of of being run in. And you can't possibly see that there's any way out of this. Hence the name of the episode. But you know, he is so not. Uh, bothered by Morgan and that's bothering Morgan and I love that because this is what Morgan does and he knows how to handle this and like he's unsettling Morgan without even trying just because he is who he is. Mm -hmm. It's it's a fascinating uh, bit of character work to see Morgan just like No, no, we got you exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, you do, Mr. Morgan. Whatever. (laughs) Anyway, back to the story, (laughs) Slim.
0: And he's he's using a lot of uh, a talk about how Morgan is beautiful. Like this is like his second sort of hint that you know, oh, Morgan is a beautiful man. Like, what it would, what what I could have had in life. Like, there's something to that psychology there. Like, like just because you're beautiful, don't think you got it all, Mr. Morgan. Basically.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or and also to the point where, like, he's self aware enough to know, like, you know, I'm not the most attractive man. Right. <laughs> so uh, next, AJ, we
0: flash back to the police station where Silo is reporting that they have roadblocks set up everywhere. So there's no way anybody's getting out of town. Gideon is looking at the sheriff, who looks like something is bothering her. So Gideon asks her, "What's up?" And she says, "Well, that profile you gave does remind me of a story I once." heard i think there's someone you should meet we cut to a jail cell cell where our crazy woman jane is and the sheriff asks how she's feeling as she uh is opening the cell and coming in and uh, jane says uh i don't want to go home george please don't make me go home the sheriff says jane uh, these people are from the fbi i'd like you to tell them your story and she says why so they can make fun of me too And Prentice looks at her whistle and says, it's very pretty. Did you make it? And she says it was a gift. And Prentice says, uh, well, what happened to you? So Jane goes into her story.
1: She says. (laughs) I'm just laughing at the inception of it all here as we go into a flashback within a flashback. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She goes into her story. My car
0: broke down. The engine went out on me and. You know, in those days, they didn't have any cell phones, so I was trying to fix it myself. Then I felt the presence, and then everything went white, and I was in a spaceship. Meanwhile, we're seeing all the imagery, and it all looks like it could be something normal, but it also looks like that maybe if you were drugged, this is the type of thing you would imagine you were seeing. It kind of looks like both things, if you know what I mean, all the the imagery that's going back on. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's blurry enough that you can't really sharply see anything that's going on inside the quote-unquote spaceship. And what she's describing kind of with rack focus, you can make it look blurrier and sharper. And you can sort of see bits and pieces of it, but the whole story isn't there. So, again, the visuals doing a really nice job of showing us exactly what probably is going on in her mind. Is that This is how she remembers it. It may not be real, right uh she experienced something but you know that doesn't mean that she's the most reliable witness and of course you know if the entire town is calling you crazy jane <laughs> uh you know if there was just like jay are there more people named jane in this town they go hey i, I bumped into jane today which one crazy jane oh no same jane
0: <laughs> so yeah anyway she continues her story she says i could see myself it was like time was suspended I could feel everything, and there were strange maps on the walls, diagrams of all the stars. I was cold. It was very, very cold. And the alien, he did things to me. He touched me. Very softly, he stroked my hair, and he drew lines all over my body. And the whole time, he was standing there, smiling down on me. And then I looked into his eyes, and I wasn't afraid anymore. I I don't know why. And then I... Well, then she was back in her own bed, and it was the next morning. And Prentice asks her, how long ago did this happen? And Jane says it happened when she was 19, and that was 30 years ago. Prentice asks her if she ever saw him again. And Jane says, oh, I see him. I see him every time I shut my eyes. So we cut to them leaving Jane's cell. Reed is saying, well, the strange maps on the walls could have been anatomical drawings. And the sheriff asks, well, what about the the fact that she said she could see herself? And Gideon said, probably a mirrored ceiling. So his victims could see themselves being dismembered. And the sheriff says, every time I think it can't get any worse, it does. And Gideon explains that Jane's subconscious mind has created this delusion that she was abducted by an alien. And Prentice points out it's possible she's the only one that survived Frank. And uh, although they don't know it's Frank at this point, and the sheriff says, well, why did he let her go? They say it's because she said when she looked into his eyes, she felt relaxed. And in that moment, she wasn't giving him the one thing that he really wanted, which was fear.
1: Makes sense. Makes perfect sense if if you follow the profile. And uh, also, I mean, she said it was 30 years ago, which means this was, if not his first, it was one of his first uh, kills, so certainly early on is when uh, prolific serial killers are going to make their mistakes or not have fully developed ways to deal with uh, situations that are outside of their control, and clearly this was not what he expected, and he kind of uh, fumbled. So you can understand if she had said, oh, what happened last Thursday, we probably would have not believed her. Right. <laughs> and she would be Crazy Jane, but... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
0: Next, uh, we cut back to the diner, and Frank is saying, "You know, I read once about a woman whose body was found in her in her apartment, uh, upper east side of New York, I think." And Morgan starts to say, "Look, if this is a confession, let's start with the woman you just took."
1: I, I thought Morgan was going to say, "Look, we've already had two flashbacks in the last four minutes. <laughs> can we not? Can we not add a tangential flashback because the audience is not going to re- realize what's going on?" <laughs>
0: So, uh, but yeah, Frank just continues. She killed herself, but her body wasn't found for more than a year. She's surrounded by over a million people and not one of them missed her. And what does that say about society? And Gideon answers, it fills me with a profound sadness, but it doesn't make you feel anything. Those that society doesn't care for, the throwaways, the runaways, the destitute, disenfranchised, the forgotten... Yes, Gideon,
1: 15 minutes. <laughs> you could have said one of those things. The wretched refuse of your teeming shores. <laughs> These are the very people you
0: target. But not last night. Something changed. You took a person of prominence, someone that mattered to everyone. Why? And Frank says, well, that's the interesting question, Jason. Why? And at this point, AJ... I started to realize perhaps who the v- person wa- was that has been kidnapped and I'm wondering I bet there's people out there if they if this was their first time this is probably when the when the uh when it started when the bell started ringing for them as well I I finally guessed what had happened here but uh, we have a little bit
1: of a way to go. Yeah, but the timing of it is pretty pretty spot on, too, because, you know, they'll, they'll drop the hammer almost immediately. True, true. <laughs> so, yeah, all of a sudden,
0: there's a commotion outside, and a man bursts into the diner holding a shotgun, and he's pointing it at Frank. Uh, Derek points his gun at him, of course, and tells him not to come any closer. And the gunman says, that man has my wife. Tell me where my wife is, or so help me, I'll shoot you. And Morgan is like, sir, I said put the gun down. The man repeats his demand to Frank, where is my wife? And Morgan is like, sir, we're trying to find your wife. Put the gun down now. And Frank pulls out a bag from under his chair. It looks like a medical bag. At first, I thought it was like a bowling ball bag,
1: but it looks like... Uh, Yeah, I wrote bowling ball ball bag too, because that was the shape of it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He plops it down on the table. (laughs) And he says, you know what's even more an interesting question? What does the psychopath have in the bag? And we all have flashbacks to the movie Seven as we cut to commercial.
1: Yeah, it's a great it's a great commercial send-off and it's just it's just I mean, Karen is just just deliciously chewing this roll up it's like, "Oh, I've got a better question for yeah. you." <laughs> What's the psychopath got in the bag, Jason?
0: <laughs> so, we uh, come back and our gunman is still screaming at Frank to open the bag. Gideon tells uh winds up telling the gunman to hand over his gun and he'll open the bag. The husband says, oh, "Okay, Frank, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you." Uh <laughs> Gideon opens the bag. He ha- he hands over the gun and and they've managed to take care of him and uh, Gideon opens the bag. We can see that it's clearly not this guy's wife. It looks like a black gentleman's head to me. I didn't really like get a great look at it, but didn't
1: no, they didn't care share too. a great look, but it was definitely definitely male, and the skin appeared to be darker. Yeah, so absolutely.
0: So yeah, so it's not this guy's wife, and he thanks God immediately, which I felt was kind of disrespectful to whoever said this was, but I I get it. Uh, and Gideon asks, "Who is this?" And Frank says, <laughs> "I believe the correct question would be, who was this?" <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, if you're to have killers, man, make them interesting. Mm-hmm. This, this guy's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In the worst possible way. But for entertainment purposes, awesome. Yeah. So the
0: gunman, the husband, I should say, is like, you're one crazy son of a bitch. And Frank says, well, aren't we all that? Aren't we all sons of bitches? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Morgan winds up getting the husband to leave and says, you know, you know, let us work on finding her. We'll find her. Gideon asks Frank, who is this? And Frank says, he's irrelevant beyond being my ticket out of here. And Morgan is like, your ticket out of here? Even if you think you can get out of that booth and past us, I promise you those men out there will tear you to pieces. Frank says he doubts that, and he tells Gideon to go ahead and
1: finish the story. Finish the story. The audience is getting impatient.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We flash back once again to a trailer park where the team is conducting a search. Hotch says that they've set up a nationwide tip line, but all they've really got so far is white male, mid to late 50s, tall with a medium build. And Gideon says, from the remains discovered this morning, we know that he doesn't keep his victims for that long. So the sheriff says, well, we've got more cops arriving by the hour to help find this guy, and we've also put out a nationwide uh, APB. And Morgan says, Well, if he's still in this town, and we believe he is, he has absolutely no way out. Silo, no. yes. <laughs> Silo is there, and he's like, Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go catch this son of a bitch. We see a montage of the team and the police questioning various
1: folks around this rather large trailer park. I've called this the montage of nope. Yes. <laughs> because every person they encounter, there's they're like, they're just shaking their heads, going, nope, nope. Never, I don't know, I can't help you. Nope, haven't heard of him. Yep. Nope, haven't seen him. We cut to a bit later. They haven't
0: found anything. Uh, Silo asks, how can you even be so sure he's here? He probably could have left town when we found the remains. And Gideon points out that. Of all the cases where the remains were found, yesterday's discovery was unique. Uh, Hotch says, uh, yeah, he's never dumped the remains of two victims before. Why? And Silo says, what I want to know is how he managed to get away with it for so long. We cut to another part of the trailer park where Reed is walking with Prentice, And Reed says, uh, to get away with murder... You simply don't tell anyone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, that, that's not the only way, but that does go a long way, is once you've gotten away with murder. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, a little on the nose. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, Prentis says, uh, the only people he told were the people he killed, and then he took from them what he needed, cash, credit cards, etc. And Reed says, I'm going to call Garcia and see if anything that Catherine Hale owned, was used after her death. Prentice is still going on. And then he moves on to his next victim. And then we cut to Gideon, who is telling the sheriff, till he reached Golconda and for some reason emptied his vehicle before driving in. We cut to JJ talking to Garcia, but she's really finishing Gideon's sentence. So this is sort of like a, a moving scene of everybody telling
1: Everybody the same thing, basically. But uh, which, which by the which by the way ends with JJ, who has figured this all out despite not being on the scene because <laughs> she's just that good. Mm-hmm.
0: True <laughs> that. True that. She says, uh, "Where he dumps his victims, the first two victims in the exact same spot as before." And Garcia says, "You know, it's almost like he's purging his vehicle before he drives into town." And JJ says, "Yeah, I don't know. It seems." almost like the unsub is always traveling from east to west, passing through every state in the same month every year. Uh, That gives her an idea, and she gets on the phone, and we cut to Hotch on the phone saying, uh, the remains that were discovered 10 years ago, it was the same month as this month, right? And JJ says, right. And then for a week after that, the trail goes dead. And Hotch says, yeah, it's like this guy is taking a vacation in Golconda. (laughs)
1: <laughs> which is sounds to me like it's like one of those obscure uh, Carlos Castaneda novels or something. Vacation in Calconda.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the uh, sheriff asks, so where is his RV? And we cut to Reed, who's telling Prentice at this point, Reed is having a, an idea. And he's saying, maybe he's not using an RV. Maybe he's towing a trailer. Uh, she says, yeah, that way he could unhook and move about town freely. And then he could also hide it. And that's why they can't find him. And Prentiss says he's waiting for the roadblocks to clear. So if he has a truck, she says it's going to look just like his trailer, maybe muted in color and American made. And Reed says, well, it's going to be dark soon. We should go back and call Gideon. I think the unsub's in town somewhere. And I suppose I should point out that while they're having this conversation there's an old woman by a trailer knitting something and she's looking at them. And then we see like a jeweled wind chime being blown. It appear I think this was uh, atmospheric, but it did also have, I guess, a point to it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a little sloppy because it, it does kind of look like Reed sees the wind chimes and that's what gives him the idea, which doesn't really make sense from any leap of logic. You know, you can pull a stretch here and go, well, Reed is so always working these things out in his subconscious that he subconsciously has figured out the end game already. It's just slow to bubble. But yeah, it yeah, doesn't quite work. Yeah. But it's there. Yeah,
0: it is. Uh, we cut back to Gideon, who is letting the team know that they have to go back into town. They're going to search the garages, warehouses, any place someone could hide a large trailer. And the sheriff is like, well, like you said, he never takes his victims when he's here. So if he's not going anywhere and he hasn't got anyone, we can wait until the morning. And Gideon's like, what? No, we just can't wait. And the sheriff is saying, look, her men are all tired. She's tired. She's got roadblocks on every road. Hotch tells Gideon she's right. They could wait until uh, first light. And Gideon's like, y'all can do whatever you like. I'm going to go find them. (laughs) And Morgan just sighs and was like, it's going to be a long night because like I, Morgan knows he has to go with Gideon, basically. <laughs> yeah. He's the muscle.
1: <laughs> he, 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 he's Guillermo and he's on Nendor duty tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: the sheriff apologizes to Hotch after they walk off. But she says she's got to relieve her men and she's going to get back to the office. And Hotch is like, he understands. He'll talk to Gideon. We then cut to JJ coming into Garcia's office. But Garcia is kicked back in her chair, taking a much-needed snooze. Uh, JJ says, hey, Garcia, which wakes her up with a little scream. And she looks at JJ and tells her uh, she likes knocking. Um, (laughs) And JJ's like, "Uh, anyway, (laughs) I've been going
1: over the tip line for hours Going over all the I've calls. I've actually been working trying to solve the case because I'm JJ. <laughs>
0: yes. While you've been in here sleeping, I've been going, spending the last hours being productive. Um, she's been going over all the calls on the tip line and she found, she found something. There's a anonymous caller that claimed they saw an RV that matched the description of the one they gave to the media. Leaving Golconda. Firstly, not a single RV or trailer has passed through any of the roadblocks. She already checked. <laughs> She found time to check that first. And secondly, JJ is wondering why would they call anonymously? So she asked Garcia to trace the number the call came from. And Garcia says, well, it's a cell phone and it belonged to clickety-clickety-clack Catherine Hale, and it's from Golconda. So this guy, he could have just kept on going. They may never have caught him. But Garcia says, with all this heat on him, what's keeping him in that town? Whatever it is must be freaky special, she says.
1: Yeah, I didn't like this. I don't. I, I just don't like the terminology they use. You know, Garcia, why don't you trace the number? No, why don't you look up the number? Because this is an anonymous tip line. It's either registered. It's too late to trace it now. He's not on the line. So why don't you do a reverse lookup of this number? Uh, you know, just, trace doesn't really work yep. here and the show gets lazy sometimes with that because oh it's Garcia. she must be tracing the number good point. good
0: point good point uh we cut to the sheriff who is telling someone that mark is away at his mother's she he took tommy home with them she's obviously in her house uh she sees an answering machine message she starts to play it and she's talking to whoever she's with she's saying you're safe here you said you didn't that you didn't want to go home, and I couldn't leave you in jail. And uh, she says she'll make up the spare guest bedroom. And can I get you something, a soda? And she's got Crazy Jane with her. <laughs> Just a tip: I'm not bringing anyone nicknamed Crazy anything t- to my house.
1: <laughs> yeah, but Crazy Jane has been on the town thirty years. Yeah. she she knows they call her Crazy Jane. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't really seem to object, even though. You know, she doesn't really love people, <laughs> but clearly those people she likes, she's a little saner around. Yeah.
0: She does thank uh, George for being so kind. We do hear the, the message still going on on the answering machine. Guys saying, hey, gorgeous George, I love you. Wife, I miss you. Tommy misses you. Guess you're busy chasing bad guys. Meanwhile, she's gone to the refrigerator to get something to to drink for Jane and Jane is asking her if he, if he's good to her. And she says, yeah, ever since I met him, we were both 15. Do you want some grape juice? All of a sudden, Jane is right up on her at the refrigerator and kind of a scary moment. Like, what's going on? You think maybe crazy Jane is going to go crazy on her. But Jane is saying, he's here, George. And we see look over and see that Frank is there. Tommy, little Tommy is on the answering machine at this point. You can hear him say, mommy, I want to come home. And George is like, who the hell are you? And Frank says, you know who I am. Don't you, Jane? Uh, The sheriff tells Jane to stay put. He starts to come at them. And all of a sudden, the sheriff is trying to block him off. But all of a sudden, he's emptying a syringe into the sheriff. And the sheriff goes down to the ground Whatever the drug is, I guess it's the ketamine or, or whatever the drug is. It She's stuck in a K-hole. <laughs> yeah, she's immediately in her K-hole. She tells Jane to run. She's Jane seems to be transfixed and going towards him. She's like, this guy is not an alien. He's the murderer. Run. Jane thinks about it for a second, but then she takes off running and, and Frank is yelling at her to stop. We hear Tommy saying bye on the answering machine, uh, and then we zoom into a drugged up Sheriff Georgie, George, George's eye. We uh, zoom out and can see now that she's on Frank's operating table. Uh, she can see her reflection in the mirror above her. Frank is there. He's putting on his rubber gloves and we cut to a break. Yipe. <laughs> no good, no bueno. We uh, come back to the diner and on the clock, AJ, it's only 12 minutes after three. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so... Yeah, you know, it's amazing what you can do when you say, well, you know, Gideon's telling the story faster than we are seeing the story, certainly, but oof, <laughs> oof. So oof.
0: Frank is still sipping on his shake and he's eyeing the clock. And Gideon says uh, he keeps checking that clock because whatever it is he came here for is coming here to this diner. And Morgan is like, okay, then we need to figure out what we missed, Gideon. And Frank says, and soon, <laughs> I'm almost finished. And then he starts <laughs> sipping his shake again.
1: We flash back. You, you know, you just you just waited to hear. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we flash back to the team arriving at the sheriff's house to investigate. Silo says, all clear. And he starts to run to the... There's a grape juice spilled on the floor and a pitcher tipped over. He starts to run to check it out. And Morgan is like, Silo, don't touch anything. We need to profile this room. And Silo is not having it. He's like, profile? You said the call was made five hours ago by the Unsub right outside this house. What's the profile? He took George. Why? Hotch says, all right, we need to work fast. And Derek says, all right. She enters the house and then it's habitual. Uh, Emily's there, she says, okay, she drops her keys, she hits the answering machine, she takes off her gun belt, then she moves throughout the kitchen, and Gideon is saying, you know, he's never taken anyone of prominence, why take the sheriff? And not her gun, apparently, because her gun is sitting there on the floor. He says, Silo, call your office, see if she was planning to meet anyone. Uh, No way a cop would take off on a chase without taking their gun with them. Definitely looks like she tried to make a go for it, but Reed says she didn't make it because he holds up the syringe to so they know what must have happened there. Silo has hung up the phone. He says, guys, uh, George brought, brought Crazy Jane home with her. And Derek says, so he takes control of George, then goes after what he came here for, Crazy Jane. And uh, then they point some footprints in the grape juice those footprints—they gotta be Jane's. They go out to the back. She escapes. The unsub knows the ketamine's gonna wear off, so he's gotta act. He hasn't got what he's come here for. And Hot says, "So for leverage, he takes the sheriff, which means sooner or later he'll contact us." We cut to Garcia, and she sees all of a sudden that Catherine Hell's cell phone has turned back on. She lets JJ know
1: because she has a because she has a trap
0: on the line. Yes, a. Trap. (laughs) Thank you. Correct terminology is important. She lets JJ know, and so they call Hotch, who tell them that her her cell phone just came back on and it's in the middle of town. Silo is all ready for action. He's like, let's do this. And Gideon says, wait, 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 wait. He thinks we have Jane. And Morgan says, which means he wants a trade. Hotch says, whatever he wants, we need to find Jane and the sheriff fast. Uh, So he says, you go to town and we'll go to Jane's. (laughs) <laughs> hey, I'm gonna go to town. Woo-hoo! <laughs> so Derek is out there with uh, Gideon and and the rest of the cops in the what we'll soon figure out is the parking lot area of the diner, and uh, he's saying, "Okay, listen up. He should be driving a truck or an SUV, muted in color, black, dark brown, and Silo says or blue because he's standing by a truck." He waves him over and says, come look at this. Uh, It's just like you boys said. He'll have a CB, police band radio, and radar detector. So they tell Hotch. Yes, Silo. Yes, Silo. Who
1: believes in profiles now? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: true. Good point. (laughs) And uh, they tell Hotch, uh, yeah, he's got to find Jane and fast. We cut to Jane's house where Hotch, Emily, and Reed are up on the porch. They're ready to breach into the house. They're holding their guns, you know, ready to go in. Uh, And there are numerous wind chimes around the house. And they're all clanking away in the air, in the wind. And Emily is noticing them. And she realizes that they are made out of bone. She tells the guys she thinks it's human rib bones.
1: Which is exactly what Frank has been taken from the bodies. Everything is coming together. And I think this is where you could you could argue that Reed saw the whistle because she, she approached him at the police station when she had the whistle and dropped it. And somehow he recognized it as being a rib bone. And he was putting this all together when he saw the wind chimes. And you, you could see that he was working on it. It would have been better if he said, hey, guys, the wind chimes are rib bones instead of Apprentice, But nevertheless. Yeah.
0: We cut back to Gideon, who's with uh, Derek and Silo, and Gideon says he's waiting for us. And Silo says, "Well, let's go get that bastard." And Gideon's like, "No, no, we still don't have the sheriff." Silo is like, "Well, when I get a hold of him, we will." <laughs> and Derek says, "Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. This guy is smart. We gotta be smarter." He turned that cell phone on, on cell phone on, because by now he knows that we're on to him. And Silo says, well, you boys have 15 minutes. Then we're coming in. And Gideon says, 15 minutes. That's all I need. They head into the diner. Once again, we hear Etta James singing at last. Uh, and our waitress is putting him in, in her order. And our opening scene plays out uh, up to the point of Gideon sitting down with Frank.
1: And then we're in an endless loop, and this episode never ends as we continue the flashback and go round and round in a circle uh, until Data finally figures out what the number four means. (laughs) Uh,
0: We cut back to Hotch. He's coming out of Jane's house saying, oh, it's completely empty. She's not here. And Reed is examining one of the many wind chimes, and he says, "Uh, well, he's obviously been here before and left these gifts for her. And Prentice is like, how romantic. And Hotch says, well, his version of romance. And Prentice says, what are you trying to say? You think he keeps coming back here because he's in love with her? And Reed says, well, that's impossible. A sexual sadist can't feel love. And Hotch says, well, define love. Don't say this to Reed, <laughs> <laughs> Don't say define love to Reed. Reed says, uh, chemically, it involves surging brain elements called monomines, dopamines, neopinephrine, and serotonin. Love chemicals are controlled by pentelotalidomine, which is also found in, and Prentice says, chocolate, because she's into this. She says, I love chocolate. And Rita's like, peas! Peas, too! It's found in peas! And Prentice is like, really? And Hatch is like, okay, Reed, Reed, I need you to stop, please. He tells all the rest of the cops, okay, you guys, spread out. Everybody, ke- we're looking for peas. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, keep looking.
1: Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it, it's fun to see these character moments, yeah. it, even within the, the the darkness of the case. But like, yeah, like you said, it gets going on these. It's like you could you could just fill the page with you know thirty lines of a gobbledygook. No one's checking this stuff out for accuracy. I certainly aren't. <laughs> yes. Hotch
0: does spot an old looking uh, wooden barn. And we cut to a shot from inside the barn, and then we see them kicking the door in, shouting FBI. So I was sad that Morgan wasn't with them, because there was a door that needed kicking, and he didn't get to kick it. But uh, they clear out the barn, and they go all the way through the back of the barn that is so broken down that it actually has uh, curtains covering an area where a wall would normally be. And they go through there, and uh, there is... It's back outside, and there's a a trailer parked there. They uh, breach the trailer, and Hotch says, clear. They are obviously now in Frank's kill area. There's the grizzly tools hanging on the wall. And uh, eventually, they find a coffin. They open it, and there is a mutilated dead woman in there. They find another coffin. They open it. It's the sheriff. She's still alive. Hotch is telling her, it's okay, don't try to speak, we've got you. And she moans out, oh, thank God.
1: Now, did you think that the sheriff was dead? Or did you uh, ever fear that she was dead? Or did you realize she was alive this whole time? Where's your head at? I thought that
0: she was probably alive. uh, And I couldn't, I could tell that it wasn't her when they opened the coffin. So that surprised me for a moment because I was like, oh, well, I thought that was going to be her in the coffin. So they had a second coffin <laughs> and, yeah. and it was her.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think it's really cool because they they told you in the first scene of the episode because when when they do open the notebook that they find in Frank's pocket, right. there's only two entries. It's clearly the head they found in the bag when he opened it up, That his description, and the girl they find in the coffin. He finished his first book. He just started a new book and these are his last two kills. He didn't write about the sheriff, so she couldn't have been dead. Right. It, was a, it was a nice little... You don't realize they're telling you that uh, how this is ending, but they did. Yeah, good point. Score one for the (laughs) right. So uh,
0: we cut back to the diner, and Frank is finishing up his shake. (laughs) He says, ah, one is perfection, two is decadent. He starts to get up like he's just going to walk out. And Morgan is like, hey, yo, <laughs> yo, you take another. You're right. I forgot I forgot the tip. <laughs> Morgan is like, you take another step. I will shoot you. And Frank says, no, you won't. And Gideon grabs him by the shoulders and says, uh, what is it that Jane said to you? She looked into your eyes. That wouldn't have been enough. She said something. What is it? It's important. And Frank says, oh, I'm a sexual sadist. I can't feel anything. Remember? You said so. Uh, Morgan gets a call. He answers it. Says, yeah, Hotch. And uh, Gideon says, there are no absolutes when it comes to the human mind. And Morgan has hung up and he says, "Uh, they just found his trailer, the remains of another woman, and the sheriff alive. And Gideon says, he doesn't care about the sheriff. To walk out of here with Jane, he'd need more than that. And Frank said says, uh, Jane said, how beautiful my eyes were. I looked at her like I've never looked at a woman before. My hands began to sweat. I dropped the knife. I tried to pick it up, but it fell again. I got butterflies in my stomach. Isn't that love? (laughs) 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 All of a sudden, we hear uh, Silo say, I'm going in. And he bursts into the diner, pointing his gun at Frank. And he says, uh, we found George. She's alive. Get on the floor. Morgan tells Silo to take it easy. Silo says no. All of a sudden, uh, a phone's call- a cell phone starts ringing. Then several cell phones are ringing all at once. And they all seem to be to the various police officers that are there. They're looking at their phones. Uh, we cut to the clock. It's 3.25 p.m., if that means anything. It must, because Frank has a big old smile on his face. And Silo is looking at a a text message on a beeper, which I'm I'm not sure about the technology there because you can't really get big, long text messages on a beeper. Well,
1: okay, fine. But, you know, uh, Georgie did have a rotary answering machine in her house. So, you know, they're a little behind the times, even for those times. So, uh, but uh, Silo is saying, no,
0: that's impossible. And Frank just smiles and says, magic time. Gideon looks worried, and we cut to a commercial.
1: Not only does he say "magic time," but he gives him a little wink. Yeah, it's really quick. It's just a nice little. Hmm. Remember before when I, you said that that would be that would be a magic trick? Well, magic time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when we come back, we are back outside the diner. Uh,
0: an SUV pulls up, and Hotch gets out, and uh, he has the chef with him. Her husband sees her and runs over, and hugs her. George, George, baby, you all right? George is upset. She says, Oh, he killed Tommy's teacher. I saw it. She was just 22. Um, And her husband is looking at her. And uh, she, she says, What's wrong? And he says, Well, they found the school bus abandoned just outside of town. And the sheriff was like, Oh, wait a minute, Tommy's supposed to be on that field trip. Where is he? And he immediately says, Look, he's safe. He's fine. He's with my mom. But that man, he also killed the school bus driver. And she says, how? We had the whole town shut down. There was no way out. No way out.
1: Beep, beep, beep.
0: <laughs> And uh, Hotch says, well, what was the one vehicle that we weren't looking for? And Reed says, a school bus. A garbage truck. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> a school bus. And Hotch says, well, more importantly, where are the children? So I felt like we got that information about the school bus like, I felt like we should have had that before somehow because, like, the husband just knew it. Like, we didn't really see him hearing about the school bus or
1: anything. No, everybody got called. That phone blast was everybody being told or, or parents finding out that their kids didn't make it home. Because right. 325 is around the time that school buses should be making the their coming home rounds. Uh, he also wasn't worried about it, the husband, because as we heard from the answering machine message – uh, their kid was out of town with the father, so he wasn't on this field trip, right. which is why he's safe. So it it actually does make sense, and I like I actually like the shorthand of bring it all together. Uh, you know, if the commercial hadn't fallen there, I think it, they could have smoothly transitioned a little better. Yeah, so that makes sense. I, I think that might be it, but yeah, it 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 flows. Okay, we cut inside the diner,
0: and uh, Gideon says, "You have the town's children," and Frank says. Just the little ones.
1: <laughs> uh, <Son of> a.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you profiled me, Jason. You know, I have no interest in harming children. And Morgan's like, We will find them. We have helicopters and dogs. And Frank says, You know, that desert is over 25,000 square miles. And Silo is just like, Shut up. <laughs> That's all Silo is, is, is good for, really. <laughs> and, uh, Frank says, what with the rising coyote population? Disk, disc, disc.
1: See, no, I didn't like that line, because although that's a callback to something that was said earlier, he wasn't there for that line. <laughs> it's a very pointed callback towards something Silo said earlier on scene. So, I, oh, that just annoyed me a little bit. It's it's, it's it's good, because it's so later on that it's still going to land as a, remember when you said that, Silo? Yeah. <laughs> But it just doesn't work.
0: (laughs) So uh, Morgan says, if it's Jane you're after, we don't have her. And Frank says, yeah, you do. And just at that moment, a cop car pulls up outside with its uh, siren blaring. A deputy gets out and says, sir, I found her walking the streets. And Hotch says, Jane, because it is Jane in the car who's getting out. Jane, he's been coming back to this town for years just to see you. And she says, all those years? Why? Why? And says, he says that he's in love with you. She says, he says he's in love with me? Why? (laughs) And Prentice says, he hides out in your old barn and he watches you. And when he leaves, he leaves behind these wind chimes as gifts. And she says, well, they're beautiful, aren't they? And Prentice says, they're not beautiful. They're the remains of the people he took, tortured and killed. He is not an alien. You were abducted by a serial killer. (laughs)
1: uh i i do like here the fact that you know when prentice first saw the whistle and was dropped on the floor what's her reaction oh beautiful. it's beautiful right and that's like oh it's bones oh, that's hideous it's like, it, it does it it's an interesting commentary on like if you don't know any different yeah it, you know your, your opinion is going to change with with that information so uh, i don't know where i'm going with it but it, it, it strikes me as good right yeah
0: yeah so uh Crazy Jane says, (laughs) but he did come for me, didn't he? Not for George. He came for me. And Hotch is like, "Uh, yeah, that's what he says. (laughs) And Jane says to George, you told me to run, but I didn't want to run. I wanted to see him again, to see his eyes and see his face. And I don't know. Somehow it just felt like I was coming home. Jane is crazy, (laughs) AJ. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: <laughs> well uh, they don't call her calamity <laughs> they call her crazy um uh, gideon and morgan
0: are bringing frank at this point outside of the diner he sees jane and yells for her and she starts to run toward him and george is screaming he has the children jane stop silo says he has our children and morgan says and we're gonna find them And Silo says to everybody, and if we don't, they'll die of exposure. Thanks, Silo. Silo is really (laughs) just not helping the situation. (laughs) He says, uh, he hasn't got Tommy,
1: George, but what if he did? Uh, Hand him over. And again, Silo's such a horrible person. George wasn't unmoved by the situation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what are you bringing that, throwing that in her face for Plus, she's still crawling out of her K-hole. Give her a second to <laughs> respond.
0: He's like, what choice do we have? And George puts her hand on him. She's, she's like, not this one, because she can tell he's like going to go do something bad. Frank says, tell them, Jason. Tell them I'm not interested in harming children. You've studied me for years. Have I ever once harmed a child? It does nothing for me. Give me Jane, and then they'll have their children back. Silo is wondering now if Jane is part of this whole thing with Frank. And George is like, look at her, Rick. She's not part of anything. She's as much as his victim as you are. And Frank says, with Jane in my life, I will never harm another human being. So she starts toward him. But Silo holds her back, and Frank yells to uh, leave her alone. And Morgan tells Silo, hey, don't even think about it, because Silo looks like he's about to do something crazy. Gideon says, no matter what you do to him, he's never going to give you what you want. And uh, George says, look, I'm telling you, Rick, they're going to find the children. Trust me. Gideon says, how about this? You take me with you, Frank, just you and me. And Frank says, and my Jane? (laughs) And Gideon says, you'll take me to where the kids are? He says, happily, I I couldn't have that on my conscience. (laughs) Uh, And then all of a sudden, it was interesting because we go to a Frank voiceover uh, explaining the the next little bit of the situation. He says, uh, I'll take a vehicle of my choice. Jason will drive. Once I'm satisfied, no one is following. I will take Jason to where I have the children. He'll then call. If anyone follows, this story is going to end in tears. So now we cut to the back of the said car uh, where... Jason is driving, and Frank and Crazy Jane are in the back seat, and uh, Frank is telling Jane, I've been coming to see you for so many years to to try to make sense of what I feel. And uh, Jason says that I'm incapable of feeling anything, but here I am, and I feel. And she asks him where they'll go, and Frank says, wherever we want, and he kisses her. And I'm kind of grossed out by the whole thing, but
1: Uh, uh, Well, it's it's serial killer victim. It's 30 years of of stalking. Like there's a lot of baggage here. Blackmail. Yeah. (laughs) This is not love given freely. And yet at the same time, it doesn't really seem like Jane is being coerced here. I mean, she she's she's. Who knows if he hadn't abducted her in the first place, if this if this would have happened. If he had just walked upon her and she had seen his beautiful eyes, perhaps she would have fallen in love with him anyway. So maybe the love isn't coercion, but it's still, yeah, it's, 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 none of this feels it's right.
0: It's icky. <laughs> so Gideon is peeping out everything in, in the rear view. Uh, Frank says, stop the car. <laughs> so they stop the car and they get out and Frank is holding Jane's hand. And yeah, they're staring at each other like lovebirds, like they've just found each other after all this time. And uh, Gideon says, what he's feeling right now is going to pass. And when it does, like all the others, he'll take your life and then he'll really feel something. And Jane is like, I don't believe he will. And uh, I don't believe you know what this feels like. And Frank says to Gideon, if you did know, you wouldn't be here. You'd be with someone that you love. So Gideon.
1: Which is a great bird. Yeah. It's a great bird because you have no one that you love, Jason Gideon. You profile me, I profile you. Yeah. It's really nice.
0: Yeah, you're right. Gideon says, where are the children? And Frank points and says, that way, (laughs) two miles. And Gideon says, no deal, no deal. Frank's like. So you're just going to stand here with me while the children suffer exposure to the elements? It's going to get dark real soon. You won't be the hero that your parents thought you'd be. And so Jason says, I will never stop hunting you. Not ever. And Frank looks at him and says, then I promise the same thing. And then he turns around and says, I will never stop loving Jane until you catch me. Gideon says, you are insane. And Jane says, well, love is insanity, isn't it? (laughs) And Frank is like, but it's a good insanity. And my hope is one day you'll feel the way I do too. (laughs) And Gideon says, if I ever find myself feeling the way you do, I'll kill myself.
1: And Frank says,
0: well, call me first because I'd love to pick your brains.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just delightful repartee.
0: And they walk away. And Jane turns back, and she gives Gideon a little wave goodbye. It's almost like I'm sorry, I know, but at the same time, I'm going. It's uh, it's creepy the whole thing. It, it no argument. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we see that uh, Gideon starts running off into the desert. And now all of a sudden, it's dark outside. He's apparently run this two miles. He uh, comes across the kids all there in the desert. We cut to a little bit later. Everybody is there. It's the whole scene. And Prentice is there. She asks Gideon, He told you where they were? Because they're back now at the original part where they stopped the car and, and let them out. And uh, so uh, Gideon says, Yeah, he. Uh, they were just over that ridge. And he points, you know, where Frank had pointed before. And Hotch asks, well, which way did Frank go? And Gideon says, west. So we hear Silo say, all units, all units. We have children. Get the search planes up. Start a grid search westbound from this location. And Hotch and Gideon have uh, walked over to where there are footprints from Frank and Jane uh, from when they left. And all of a sudden, they stop. They disappear. Gideon looks up. He says, we'll find him. They head back to the group. The camera pans up into the desert sky and the episode is over.
1: Yeah, I think there's something very poetic about the fact that uh, they walked off towards the west because he had always traveled from east to west and stopped in this small little town in Nevada. And now he's going further west. So the journey, his journey with Jane, finally continues and it goes off into the west. And there's just a little wink and the nod that, like you know, the, with the pan up, like maybe he was an alien, maybe there were spaceships. Yeah, oh, I didn't even think that. It's, <laughs> or, it's or maybe he just parked a car there and was yeah. <laughs> was ready with an escape vehicle, which is more likely to the point. But no, I thought it was just a nice little, nice little ending, nice little button on the on the episode.
0: Yeah. This is a great episode, AJ. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, But we have to ask the question that we always ask at the end of each and every episode. Uh, We have something called the barometer, which lets us know if the team won the episode or not. And I'm really curious as to how you feel this week.
1: Hells no. (laughs) (laughs) You can't get more of a loss than this. I mean... Frank was operating with impunity and he they, they went into a diner where he was drinking a milkshake surrounded by cops and he still walks away and gets what he wants and they get nothing Pugh. loss hard L
0: <laughs> yeah call me crazy I have the feeling we'll see Frank again in this
1: series who knows <laughs> I and mean, we know that Gideon says he'll never stop hunting but uh, you know we've heard that we've heard that old gag before. <laughs> Uh so uh what does that put their record at? Seven wins, three losses, three ties. So still a winning record for the year, but uh I don't know if they're gonna be making the playoffs. It's gonna be a tight race. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh
0: another thing we like to do every week at the end of the episode is a little quiz based upon the episode we just watched, or should I say, inspired
1: by the episode we just watched. So, AJ, how about it? How about it, indeed. Okay, question number one, based on this episode. I mean, you mentioned Amy Madigan, of course. Academy Award nominee, Golden Globe winner, fine actress, amazing guest star power for this episode, Crazy Jane. What other actor, also Academy Award nominated, is she married to?
0: I remember this. Uh, Amy Madigan is married to... Oh, what is his name? I can picture his face. I think he was in uh, The Right Stuff. (laughs) I don't know why that's the first movie that comes to mind. Um, Ed Harris. Ed Harris.
1: Ed Harris Pollock himself. The Man in Black. Yes, indeed. Ed Harris is correct. They've been married for almost 40 years. Wow. Still together. After meeting... Uh, yeah, they met on set, at uh, uh, working on a movie, and fell in love. She told him he had most beautiful eyes. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they walked off into the sunset together, and he promised he'd never stop loving Amy. <laughs> uh, wait, no. Well done, one for one. Let's move on to our question two. Hey, there is actual Academy Awards star power in this episode, because George, our sheriff... Played by Academy Award winner Melissa Leo. Uh, amazing uh, actress. Won, I believe, for The Fighter. Uh, and had a very salty, I remember, very curse-filled Golden Globe speech when she won for that role. Uh, she played a character in a television series. Uh, the character's name was Goldie Hirschlog. Goldie Hirschlog was her character. And the name of the series was I'm Dying Up Here. Uh, What was the profession that was profiled in the show, I'm Dying Up Here, where uh, Melissa Leo played Goldie Hirschlag? I will give you multiple choice. Was this a show about A, computer coders, B, doctors slash nurses, C, flight attendants, or D, stand-up comedians?
0: Ooh. Um, I didn't watch this show. I don't remember this show. And you almost had me with flight attendants, but I have, who have dabbled in a little bit of stand-up myself, AJ, will always think of that sentence with stand-up comedy. So I am going to go with D, stand-up comedians.
1: Stand-up comedians, Uh, yes, indeed, this was a show that was on Showtime, uh, and the only reason I ever saw it is because, uh, I got a free preview for a little while and <laughs> so I, I it was on at the same time, I believe I was watching the Twin Peaks, uh, oh, return. Yes, yes. So I, 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 I got, I got showtime for that and this show was also on. So I, I, I saw a few episodes. It also started Ari Grainer and Al Madrigal as, uh, some of these standups and she was like the owner of the club, the Mitzi Shore of it all. Okay. So, uh, Yes, indeed. Two for two. And, of course, this is my favorite question each week, and this is the only one I really care about. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to preview next week's episode, What is the Plot, Sir? Criminal Minds. Season 2, episode 14, entitled, The Big Game. The Big Game. Is it A? A? a town which is very popular with deer hunters gets a visit from an unsub who'd rather hunt the hunters. (laughs) Is it B? Gideon receives a package from a man who wants him to, quote, follow the clues in order to, quote, get to the prize at the end, and inside that package is a woman's hand. Is it C? A murder at a Super Bowl party is just the start of a religiously-based killing spree. (laughs) Or is it D? The BAU is called away on a very critical case hours before Reed is about to take part in the FBI's chess championship. (laughs) Oh, no, not the chess
0: championship. To begin. <laughs> uh AJ, in my head, I have already narrowed this down. I believe the answer is going to be either B or C. Uh I don't remember what my reasons for eliminating the other two choices were. Uh, it just seemed like those seemed more of the logical choices to me. And I am going to say. Uh could you repeat choice B? I believe that was my guess, but I just want you to repeat it to make sure
1: that uh B is where Gideon is going to receive a package uh containing a woman's hand where he yeah. has to follow the clues to the prize at the end.
0: Yeah, I feel like uh we're in the ever since the Fisher King, we're into this sort of uh here's something grisly, here's a bunch of clues uh So I think that makes sense, and I think that is going to be the next episode. Number B, letter B.
1: Number B, letter B. Well, uh, of course, you are not wrong at all that uh, the here's a thing, follow the clues is going to be a time-honored criminal minds trope that we are going to see time and time again. But if you check the date of next week's episode's uh, official runtime, it, it's, this is the episode that airs after the Super Bowl. Oh. This is the big game. And yes, it starts off with a murder at a Super Bowl party because it airs after the Super Bowl. Okay. All right. You got me. <laughs> Possibly the most watched uh, Criminal Minds episode ever, uh, Nielsen numbers, simply because it aired after the Super Bowl. Right. Makes sense. <laughs> and those those drunkies were too lazy to change the channel. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, well. Two out of three ain't bad, AJ. Uh, it's always meatloaf at the Polonius <laughs> <laughs> Pundit's Kitchen. <laughs> uh,
0: all right, folks, guess what? That's the uh, show for this week. I'd like to thank you all so much for joining us. As usual, we hope you had a great time. Please be sure to do all those things we like to say, like subscribe to, rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform, Uh, be sure to spread the word, let your friends know about us, and as always, you can write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kentad Svensgaard saying goodbye, and keep profiling. Wheels
1: up! Kyle McLaughlin, as Jeffrey Beaumont in blue velvet, once said, Why are there people like Frank?